Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks from all sorts of backgrounds. Come check us out Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the corner of 9th and Market. And of course, there are more details at urbangrace.org. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? God of light and God of life, we give thanks for the light by which we see all things. And we pray that through the reading of your word and through the work of your spirit, we may see that light again in our life today. Amen. So, as we've said a lot of times already, Today we celebrate the Feast of Epiphany uh, and the season of Epiphany. This is the third church season of our church year, actually. So we start with Advent, which is all about preparing for the arrival of Christ. Then we have Christmas, celebrating the birth of Jesus, and now Epiphany, revealing that Jesus is the Messiah. And, And so the season of Epiphany is all about revelation about understanding and possibility. The word epiphany actually means striking appearance, and the church has traditionally represented that with lights. Yet as we sort of turn to this epiphany text, we don't find like a blinding flash of light 
that instantly reveals good news. Instead, we find something a little bit more familiar. We find a story full of fear and joy and courage. The story doesn't begin with revelation. It, it actually sort of begins in fear. The wise men show up in Jerusalem with the news that they have followed a star from the east to in search of the newborn king of the Jews. Our text says that this is troubling news to Herod and to all of Jerusalem. And, and there was good reason that this would be troubling. In the ancient Near East, the sudden appearance of a star would have been an omen that something was about to happen, usually something bad. And folks probably knew where to look for trouble. Over and over, King Herod had made it clear that he would shed as much blood as necessary to keep his throne. So now people are looking at this bad omen and a violent king whose power seemed threatened. Of, of course people are scared. But the, the story doesn't sort of get stuck in that fear. The wise men travel to Bethlehem where they find the child, and it says they're overcome with joy. And this is, this is maybe like technically our moment of epiphany, the, the moment of revelation where they realize that this child is in fact the Messiah. But I think it's important not to isolate that moment. The wise men have traveled far from their home in what would be modern-day Iran. Their arrival upset this unstable and violent king, and yet, sort of through that, they continue on. They encounter the life-changing news of the Messiah because they pushed through their own fear and overcame the anxiety of everyone around them. This then brings them to joy that gives them the courage to take risks. Because that, that last detail that on the way to Bethlehem, Herod orders them to share details about this new king. And the text leads us to believe that they were happy to oblige to tell Herod until the epiphany of meeting this child changes them. They disobey Herod and return home by another way, so Herod won't learn of the location of the child. Their newfound joy inspires them to, to risk their personal safety and defy this notoriously brutal king. And in, in this story of epiphany, there, there seems to be a bit of a pattern of kind of like overcoming fear to find joy and hope, and, and then using that joy and hope to gain the courage to take risks. It also seems that that kind of like plays out a bit in like those epiphanies, those life-changing moments where we sort of like learn something after which things aren't the same anymore and they cause us to change who we are. And sometimes like the news of some really big change is just simply joyous. But if our lives are about to change, 
there's usually some fear, or at least some apprehension involved. Fear that things won't work out. Fear that we have to give up something we love. Often, our fears and anxieties can make us closed and afraid. Our fears can prevent us from hearing truth from others or for from seeing ourselves as we really are. So even before we can see truth that's waiting for us, we need to be open to the unknown. We need to be vulnerable. We have to trust there's something beyond those fears. And I, and I think that somewhere along the way in this epiphany, there needs to be some joy, especially if those epiphanies change us in uncomfortable ways. It, it would have been real tough head, uh, like for the wise men to go straight from being afraid of Herod to being willing to risk defying Herod without the joy and wonder they found in Jesus. And I think, too, we need joy or hope or contentment that that truth that's being unveiled is is going to change us. We need to find hope in that truth or we'll probably just run away from it. We need to know that the risk is worth the change. And, and that's where like wonder and joy give us the courage and inspire us to take those bold risks. And that's sort of like the, the that was the thing as I read this text that just like jumped out to me. The, the pattern of how the wise men are changed and how that seems sort of similar to how we cope with our fears. We have the courage to embrace joy and, and to risk new things. Uh, so like that, that, I sort of had this pattern and then I spent a little time thinking about like, okay, so what epiphanies look like? Uh, how do we encounter truth and how does that truth change us? Specifically about what this looks like in our faith and in the spiritual life of our congregation. And, and as I sort of sought, thought through this, I, I thought I could have, have the privilege of hearing of lots of people's changes, their epiphanies, and uh, there's a lot of different stories there, but there's one sort of theme that, that popped up that wasn't particular to any one person, but a lot of folks that I kind of got excited to share about. Because for the last few years, I've sort of watched an increasing number of folks wrestle with the realization or the epiphany that the faith that they had relied on for years just isn't quite working. Often that, actually, that epiphany begins in pain and in fear. Sometimes that's the realization that the people who had always loved them don't seem so loving now that they've come out. Or sometimes it's the realization that their church is too busy trying to save people from hell to realize and face the hell on earth that our society has caused and created for people of color, for undocumented people, and for unhoused people. Or, or sometimes 
People just struggle to believe. And, and every version I hear of this is unique. But I sort of found this commonality of, of people feeling disoriented by big shifts in their faith. And, and it's troubling when, you know, when we no longer seem to fit in the church or we don't really fit in the family that has shaped us and given us purpose. It's scary. It can, it can almost feel like the ground underneath our feet is no longer solid. And, and I know it was troubling for me when I went through this like years ago. My, my faith just sort of stopped working like it always had. I hadn't always, uh, I, I was kind of wondering if I was really a Christian and trying to figure out how to believe things that seemed impossible and feeling just not spiritual enough. And, and if I, and I was training to be a pastor, so the, the stakes felt high. And if I had written a sermon then about spiritual epiphanies that, you know, come in the midst of fear and joy and courage, I think I probably would have said something about needing to find Jesus again, or find joy in Jesus again. Like, you know, the wise men, they, they found baby Jesus in an unexpected way. So we too need to search or do something to find Jesus in new, unexpected ways. And, and I don't think that's like totally off base, but finding Jesus in new, unexpected ways can be really hard. Because even though our epiphanies might change the way we see, they don't always change how we think about ourselves or, or what we think faith is supposed to look like. The communities that, that shape our most basic and foundational ideas of faith and spirituality continue to influence us long after we leave those communities. And sometimes the, the influence of our past can rob us of the joy and the hope we need to continue on the journey. It, I, I think it'll be easier to explain this if I just get uh, more specific and kind of like reconstruct a conversation that I've had many times in many different ways. Uh, it, it usually starts like by going out to coffee or a beer or something like that with with folks who sit down and tell me, I think I'm agnostic. I don't know what I believe. I don't enjoy prayer. I fill in the blank. And, and my first thought as I, I sit there is, of, of course you think that. Like your whole life, you've been told that Christianity has boundaries that you're now crossing. You were told that people that look like you aren't Christians. But uh, you're totally a Christian. I mean, that's my first thought. I, uh, I don't always say that because I'm not really in the business of telling people how they're supposed to identify, but sometimes I say it or sometimes it's just in my head. I think uh, you, you are a Christian. Like, you've chosen an incredibly diverse and ancient 
spiritual tradition to explore questions of, of God and meaning and spirituality. And you want to explore those questions through the person of Jesus, through the teachings of Jesus and the ideas of grace and liberation and salvation. Like that right there, that is what being a Christian is. Sure, you don't know for certain, like, if all the things in the Bible happened, and you don't know exactly what you believe, but that's fine. No one knows if everything in the Bible actually happened. None of us were there. None of us know for certain how salvation looks, works or exactly what eternal life is like. The Bible doesn't spell that out for a reason. And the fact that, that you're still searching for what's true, that doesn't mean you have less faith. The fact that an ancient text is not clear and obvious doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. In fact, the, the idea that, that faith is defined by intellectual certainty about historical facts and a specific set of religious doctrines, like that's not Christianity that's a post-enlightenment rationalistic, individualistic, American definition of what it is to be a Christian. And you don't have to define yourselves by the norms of a community that you've left, often for good reason. But, but that's really tough. That's not an easy thing to internalize. Like I said, it's hard to overcome our our sort of foundational spiritual orientation. It takes a lot of courage to stop judging ourselves through the lens of our past and accept our faith for where we're at right now. And, and it might not actually feel like, the, like our story where there is overwhelming joy of finding baby Jesus it might feel more like being okay. Being okay with yourself and what you believe. It might mean looking around at this community that's full of people who love and support you no matter where you're at. Because community has tremendous power to help us see what's hidden from us in the moment. I think that's, that's especially the case in those unsettling moments when we realize that things are different than we had always believed. That's when we really need community to come around us, to love us, to, and to journey with us. We need community to help us find the joy that's buried deep inside of those epiphanies the joy of discovering our true self and trusting that God loves that true self. And, and I'll be honest, it doesn't always come in like a tidy sequential pattern where it goes fear, joy, courage, got it. That's like 
pretty much the story of the Magi, or maybe the first part. We don't know what their journey home was like. We don't know if they doubted what they saw in the barn. We don't know if they were afraid of Herod chasing them down. All we know is that they had one another for the journey home. They had community, and probably a, a big community. You, uh, you don't usually travel across the Middle East in groups of three, and the Bible never says there were only three of them. The Bible just says that the wise men brought three gifts, and so we sort of assumed, oh, there must be three. But it's more likely that there was a large caravan of people supporting one another, helping one another, traveling the road together. And perhaps that's how they navigated through those fears and joys and risks. I mean, we, we can't know, but I believe that's how we do it, together. And, and I, I, don't know, I think I'm thinking about this a lot because it's the start of a new year. And, and it feels like a year that will bring fear and joy and courage. And maybe even just like the last week has brought up some more fear for me, uh, for my friends in the Middle East, for, the, for my Iranian friends that I've known and loved, for the election. And amidst this frenzy of fear and anxiety around us, it'll take courage to find joy, to celebrate new life, to welcome the opportunity to to embrace people looking for community, people in search of love and acceptance. It takes courage to risk joy in the face of fear. It takes one another. So it, it feels right and it, it feels good that we start our season of epiphany and we begin our new year by breaking bread together with communion. This practice has brought our community of faith together for thousands of years. It is a declaration that the presence of Christ has the power to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us with one another, to bring us together. So friends, as we take a moment here, I'm just gonna play a little piano, uh, just have a moment of reflection to prepare your hearts to meet Christ in our midst, calling us to have courage, to find joy and support and through one another, through the presence of Christ in our midst. Amen.